0: Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller
1: and Rachel Seedman.
0: And in each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers.
1: Hi, Rachel. Hey, Adina, how are you doing? I'm good. Merry belated Christmas. Merry belated Christmas. But you know what? We are just, it's 2020. If anything, we deserve to have a long Christmas season this year. So it's still Christmas in my book. And I will say that's literally
0: one of the reasons that I chose this movie that we're
1: going to discuss.
0: (laughs) So, unless you have something that you want to talk about first, I think we can like jump right
1: in here. I say we cut the chit-chat today and we get right into our movie because we have so much to talk about. We do. Uh, Guys, today we
0: are discussing The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yay! Yay! (laughs) I love this movie and I, obviously, time of year is one of the main reasons that I chose this, but it's just, it's a fun, feel-good movie, like- the perfect amount of creepy and festive so i'm gonna give you a little synopsis as provided by disney plus because uh as always as rachel said last week disney plus just happens to give my movies really good synopses (laughs) and hers really crappy ones and again (laughs) this is proving to be true Uh Uh (laughs) uh-huh so Bored with the same old scare and scream routine, Pumpkin King Jack Skellington longs to spread the joy of Christmas, but his merry mission puts Santa in jeopardy and creates a nightmare for good little boys and girls everywhere. It's such a good synopsis. (laughs) It's such a good synopsis. So this movie came out on October 29th, 1993. So, uh... That was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, Yes, it was. Again, why did I pick this movie? We are putting this out just a couple days after Christmas, and I want to hold on to this good, warm, festive feeling as long as I can because 2020 has been the ultimate shit show. Mm -hmm. There have been ups. There have been downs. But, like, I think for the world as a whole, it's been a shit show. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Rachel, do you consider this movie
1: a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie I consider it a Christmas movie I watch okay, I it in too. December Yeah it's I don't watch it in during Halloween time I'll watch Hocus Pocus if I want to watch a Halloween movie but I watch this movie it, during Christmas time
0: Okay. I don't know if like that's necessarily a hot take that it's a Christmas movie. I feel like a lot more people think it's a Halloween movie because like several years ago, some friends and I went and watched this movie at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood for Halloween. Uh, It was very delightful. It was like in 4D, there was snow when Jack first enters Christmas town and like lights were twinkling and it was super, super fun. And then there were like models set up in the like in the special showroom of the theater with like fun facts about the movie. And again, you know, had I known that we were going to be doing this podcast back in 2017, <laughs> I would have uh, <laughs> taken note. Plan but better, Adina. I know it's terrible, but like, yeah, I personally consider this a Christmas movie, but if you look at it, you know, all the artwork for it is pretty Halloweeny.
1: Yeah. And so, I think what you guys will hear soon is Adina and I, because there is so much to talk about when it comes to Nightmare Before Christmas. At this point, it's such a cult movie. It has a cult-like following. It's wonderful. So we have kind of divided up how we're going to talk about it. So I took on kind of some, the making of the movie and how did it get to that point. And then Adina took on, since that point, we have now seen this ride happening at Disneyland on the Haunted Mansion gets that reskin during the holiday times, starting during, of course, Halloween. So I think this will be a really fun thing for us to talk about. And you really get that feeling. Is it Halloween? Is it Christmas? What were they trying to say? And so I definitely have some some notes from the making of that will kind of influence. Maybe you guys will say something else. If you think it's a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie, maybe you'll say something different by the end of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, what wine are we drinking with this wonderful movie? So we are drinking a very special wine today. And it is the brand or the... I can't even tell you... Okay, let me tell you right now. I don't have a lot of information about this wine. It's a mystery wine. However, the wine that we are drinking today is called the Electric Reindeer Chardonnay. And of course, I had to choose an Electric Reindeer. One, there's a million different Christmas wines in existence. You can find Hallmark wines. You can find Ugly Sweater wines. You can find all different types of wine. However, as soon as I saw electric reindeer well done and done that's our movie right there what takes jack to serve as santa as he goes off into the world well we'll talk about it however spoiler alert it's some electric reindeer with zero at the lead so i wanted to do this electric reindeer they actually make different wines they have some that are red they have some um They have a cab, they have a white Zinfandel, they have Moscato, so they have different types of this electric reindeer. However, as I said, since Zero is at the helm of these electric reindeer, I had to go with a white wine to really just tie it all together. Zero at the lead and our electric reindeer. Now again, this is a Chardonnay. We have not had a Chardonnay. We are on episode eight. We are on episode eight right now. Ooh, could not remember for a second. We've done so many. We're on episode eight and we have not done a Chardonnay. So I have some facts about Chardonnay in general, which is why it's so surprising. But I think before we get into more about this wine, let's, let's pour. And I'm just going to preface this for myself. Adina knows this already. So for all of you listening, you can get this fine wine of electric reindeer, which I'm holding up to the camera for Adina only. You can get this fine bottle of wine for five dollars from world Mm -hmm. market so my expectations aren't necessarily high but this I had to choose this because it is literally our wine so let's go ahead and pour and hope for the best and look you know just a price point alone does
0: not determine whether or not a wine is going to be good because I've had some solid wines
1: that are like under 10 bucks Certainly, and this did have actually some pretty good reviews okay. online that I could find. So I think Adina, I we might as well just say, cheers, cheers. That does not taste
0: like a Chardonnay. No, it doesn't.
1: It I'm tastes confused. Like
0: a Moscato.
1: It certainly tastes like the Moscato. I bought. It. Look at your bottle. Please no, mine me. says Please.
0: Chardonnay. It is so sweet. When I think of a California Chardonnay, which this is, I think buttery, very yep. dry. Yep. Uh, this is neither of those. This is almost pure sugar. And now I'm going to look at the bottle and see if there's a... Nope, does not have the sugar content. Why would I Why no. would it have that on there?
1: Well, here, I'm just going to read. So for everybody else, let's actually hear what the winemakers themselves have to say. So I'm going to read the bottle description, which surprisingly is pretty thorough on this bottle. The description says... Why is our reindeer electric? Because he's on the go. This festive fellow comes around once a year. He brightens up your parties, shines in any grab bag, and glows on holiday tables. You can only find him there, so catch him while you can. Plug into your best holiday ever with the complex aromas and exotic fruit, spice, and fig notes of our electric reindeer chardonnay. So, in regards to flavors, you really only get a couple notes on this bottle of complex aromas, exotic fruit, spice, and fig. But mostly this is about just the little reindeer on the front and how he's just going to make your day by showing up at a holiday party. And
0: you know what? The concept of very cute wine labels has become increasingly popular because a lot of the times people will just go to the grocery store and pick a wine based on the label anyway. Oh, I absolutely. am very guilty of doing this. 100%.
1: But...
0: It's, it's strange that the back, like the, the actual description of the wine is just about the label. It's <laughs> literally, this,
1: this is just a label-based wine. I would say a tasting. Of, so I wrote a whole plethora of notes about Chardonnay and I feel like I have to throw that all out because this <laughs> doesn't apply no, to it any doesn't. of the notes that I took. I, I don't know your notes, but I can
0: almost guarantee that they will not apply because I told Rachel before we started recording. I don't particularly love Chardonnays. Mm-mm. I don't know how I feel about this wine, but it doesn't taste like Chardonnay. So, Rachel, no. I want to hear your notes about Chardonnay, though.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. So, my first fun fact, uh, I believe we called out in our You Wish episode that Sauvignon Blanc is your mom's favorite. Uh, so, my mom's favorite is Chardonnay. Oh, Hey. Do a little throwback. You guys now know what our mom's favorite wines are, but both of my parents love Chardonnay. We have a wine club membership to a winery not too far from my house, and they do some top-tier California Chardonnays. This is a little bit different. So anyway, <laughs> as I said, I tried to do a little bit more research on this wine. Who, who is Electric Reindeer? Who makes this? Where is this from? Anything. Spoiler alert, I don't know. It says that it's made by electric reindeer. I wonder if it's like not a secret brand, but like
0: produced under some other umbrella, but then bought by Cost Plus World Market.
1: It kind yeah it, it seems like it's something along those lines because I found a name of another winery that owned this label of mm. electric reindeer but then they were purchased by somebody else so this is a very mysterious wine that basically cost plus world market puts out but I will tell you this uh, another reason for picking this wine other than label alone is that it is actually a Northern California it does say that it's Napa California wine. And as we will get to talk about in a little bit, this movie was actually not made in L.A. This movie was made in Northern California, in the Bay Area. And so it actually is very close to where this Chardonnay, this mystery Chardonnay, was being grown. Not maybe just a couple hours away. So I thought that was really fun and a nice tie into the movie. But okay, so if we were to be having, which we are not, but... (laughs) If we were to be having a full bodied oak Chardonnay, so just like your typical California Chardonnay, the type of foods you'd want to be eating with that, which again, throw all of it out. <laughs> to, I mean, if you want to save it to when we have a real California Chardonnay, feel free. But <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, here, I will just give some things next time we do an actual Chardonnay that. I know is Chardonnay-y, this will apply a lot more. However, I did the research before drinking the wine, so I just want to say it. So yeah, Rachel, tell us about your deep
0: dive on California Chardonnays that has nothing to do with this actual wine that we're
1: drinking. If you were to be having a full-bodied oak Chardonnay, the types of food you'd want to be eating would be any type, not any type, let me rephrase. You'd want to be doing a fish. Let's talk about some halibut. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some cod you don't want to be doing necessarily like a tuna that's too big for the for a regular chardonnay. Yeah, like a light white fish. Light light white, light white. And then also though the some of the best foods to have with a chardonnay would be your late summer veggies, aka that pumpkin ravioli that you've been eyeing at Trader Joe's. Get it and have it with a chardonnay because that will be a perfect pairing. Oh my god, yum. I that sounds so good. Sounds so good right now. <laughs> any type of butternut squash all of that things you should avoid and maybe that's the most important thing right now Mm. spicy food no asian food no light cheeses so no like goat cheese sheep cheese Uh uh-uh that's not gonna pair well go with your cheddars and don't have your spicy food okay i'm gonna move past that point because again it doesn't apply to the wine we're drinking today it does i'm so sorry no it's okay it's how could you have possibly known I couldn't. I have one final thing that, again, we'll probably bring up when we have an actual Chardonnay, but technically this is made with Chardonnay grapes, so I'm going to call this anyway. Chardonnay is the most widely planted grape variety in the world. It has actually overtaken a lot of Spanish grapes. And Chardonnay has topped it. If you go on Wikipedia, it says that there's a Spanish grape that tops it. However, you go on like Wine Folly, if you go and look at other wine specific places, they will tell you that Chardonnay is the most widely grown grape. So most people listening have probably had a Chardonnay. It's also what's used most in uh, sparkling wines, champagne, Proseccos. All of that is a a lot of times based around a Chardonnay grape. That's
0: super interesting. And I didn't know that.
1: The more you know about Chardonnay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry. (laughs) Okay, I've done about Chardonnay because this isn't a Chardonnay, but it's good. I, no, I'm not I'm, against this
0: wine. I'm not against this wine. It's it's better than the Gewürztraminer that we had during Snow White. Yes, it is. AKA, okay, it's not sickeningly sweet.
1: Yeah. As a, it, ha, it is like a Moscato. So there is some sweetness in this wine. So if you were thinking there's going to be no sweetness, this is not the wine for you. No, and it's not the wine I was expecting when I took a sip. But nope. again, I don't hate it.
0: It is not my favorite we've had on the podcast, but it's not my least favorite. Not my
1: least favorite. So you know what? That makes it a good wine in my book. (laughs) And it was $5. And it is very festive. If you're going to a holiday party, grab yourself a bottle of electric reindeer. It doesn't have to be the Chardonnay. They have other ones. The label is very cute, and it will absolutely make somebody smile to just look at the label alone. So yeah. $5, great wine.
0: So now that we've had a little bit of this wine, I think it's time that we move on to the fun facts that we have on this movie. Yes. Now, The Nightmare Before Christmas was actually originated by a poem that was written by Tim Burton in 1982 while he was working as an animator at Walt Disney Productions. Now, as I mentioned last time, one of the reasons why I picked this movie was because I saw Tim Burton worked on Vixie the the Vixen the fox so that was around that time was it
1: 1980 1980s early 80s it came out did it come out in 1980 oh sorry the movie came out in 1981 (laughs) okay so a year later
0: while he is still working as an animator at walt disney productions he writes this poem then he comes out with this short film called vincent also in 1982 and it was very highly accorded so After the success of that, Tim Burton began to consider developing The Nightmare Before Christmas as either a short film or as like a 30-minute television special and tried and tried for years to make it work within that short timeframe. Of course, that did not happen as we were talking about a full-length feature film. You know, years went by and Tim Burton is still thinking about this project and as he's doing a bunch of other things. And then finally in 1990... He made a development deal with Walt Disney Studios and to make The Nightmare Before Christmas the full movie, and then production started in July of 1991.
1: I just want to insert something. So something that I found, uh, a lot of my facts, not all of my facts, came from the Netflix show, the holiday movies that made us. And something that they talk about is actually Tim Burton had pitched this to Disney while he was an animator, and they said no. However... They took the rights at the time to The Nightmare Before Christmas. So Disney was in possession for a very long time. And Tim Burton and Disney went their separate ways. Okay. So while he was an animator, during that two-year stint, he met two very important people. One was named Henry Selleck who went on to become the director, because spoiler alert, if you thought Tim Burton directed The Nightmare Before Christmas, you are sorely mistaken. He was, as you will find out in a bit, working on Batman down in LA. So he was actually not even on set during all of this. So he met the actual director while he was an animator, in addition to one additional person named Rick Hendricks, who went on to basically build the sculptures of, of Tim Burton's ideas. Mm. So Tim Burton, and actually while they were talking about this, they showed the sketches of the Fox and the Hound and Vixie was what they were actually showing while they were explaining how these three guys kind of got together. All of them went their separate ways after their two years was up. Now what happened then is Disney had a very important person at the time named Paul Rubens, who you will actually know as Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. And so during Pee Wee Herman's big adventure, he got to choose who was going to direct this. And he just happened to choose Tim Burton to be the director. So Tim Burton had already gone separate ways with Disney at this point, but Paul Rubens wanted Tim Burton's ideas to be the director. In addition to that, that is when Paul Rubens as well pulled in another person who is very core to Nightmare Before Christmas who's Danny Elfman, to do the music to Pee-wee's great adventure, big adventure. So these, because of Paul Rubens, Tim Burton had his success and was able to go on to do Beetlejuice and Batman. And after those two success, he went back to Disney and said, hey, I want to buy these back from you. And they said, no, let's do it together. Here's $18 million. We are going to do this together. What? Mm -hmm. So it's because of Paul Rubens, It's because Pee-wee's big adventure that Tim Burton basically, that's what launched his career to go on to do these incredible things and to do them with Danny Elfman and actually some other people as well. Caroline Thompson, who's Danny Elfman's girlfriend, wrote the screenplay for Beetlejuice and ended up writing the screenplay for Nightmare Before Christmas. All of these things happened because that one spark of Paul Reubens pulling in everybody to start Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and that kicked off what would become the trajectory of Nightmare Before Christmas. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. Now I, I want to. I also don't want to, but I want to go watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's what. That's what started all of this. Like Tim Burton had did. He lost Nightmare Before Christmas. He like Disney had it, and he wanted to buy it back, and they said, "Here's $18 million. Let's do this thing.
0: That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's
1: super, super cool. At this time, they gave him this money, except he was signed up to do Batman Returns. Batman number two. So he was down in LA. Same with Rick Hendricks, was also working on Batman Returns with him, which is when they got Henry Selleck to be the director. And they trusted him. They knew him when they were younger as animators. And so then Henry Selleck really was the one who started pulling this whole team together in the Bay area. They weren't going to go down to LA. They were all in the Bay area. In fact, they sent ideas down to Tim Burton of here's what Halloween town is going to look like. And Tim Burton had said immediately. No. And he had one rule. Halloween town is black, white, and orange. Those are the only colors that you're allowed to see there. Mm. So the the animators then had to scrap what they already had. So not the people actually building it, but they had to first draw this out so it could get built. And they had to scrap it because there are apparently too many colors in the original Halloween Town, which also, side note, it feels so silly to say the words Halloween Town because we I know. talked about this in episode one, but this is a very different Halloween Town. It is a
0: very different about. Halloween Town. Um, but in regards to this Halloween Town, I could not imagine it being any more colorful because it just it fits the motif so well. It's mm-hmm. dark. It's scary. You know, speaking of this motif of spookiness and scariness, Disney did initially release this film through Touchstone Pictures because uh, Walt Disney Studios believed that this film would be too dark and scary for kids. I don't disagree. I think it's kind of creepy. I, I'm trying to remember the first time that I
1: saw this movie, and I think I was like a teenager. I was in college. I didn't see this until I was a freshman at Cal Poly. My old roommate was obsessed with this movie
0: and we we would watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's super cool. But yeah, I don't think that I saw this as a kid. I think no. it would have been too scary. So this was the first full length feature film that was all entirely stop motion, which is so cool. Uh, it was then nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards, which was a first ever for an animated film.
1: Yeah, it's it's impressive. So much so that I'm. we're going to play a game, Adina. Maybe you looked oh, up this fact. So okay. if you did, it's not going to be as fun. I have three questions for you. Okay. How many minutes of footage do you think they shot per week? Oh my God. I have
0: no idea.
1: Well, hold on. Let me try yeah. to math
0: for a second. Okay. Try I don't and math think for... I can math because I know it's, what is it? Like it's 12 frames per second. Something. Is it more than that? I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm, it's more than
0: that. I don't even want to try to math. I've had some wine already.
1: Just give me the answer. Okay. So to start there, it was 24 pr- frames per okay. second. They were shooting out one minute of footage per week. Oh my God. That's all they got out is one minute every That's single nuts. week for a total of 110,000 individual frames Holy make up shit. this movie. Right? I right. Gonna say that. I'm going to pour myself more wine because. Pour Holy the wine. Shit. Yeah. Can you. Okay. So that just means again, every second of this film, is 24 individual frames. That's fucking insanity. Look, I love meticulous work like the rest of them. I decorate cookies. I build miniature things. I cannot imagine 24 frames to just get one second and therefore one minute of footage. Can you imagine going to Disney and being like, they're like, oh, how much did you do? We have two minutes of footage done currently.
0: I am immediately thinking now of the scene in parks and rec after ben wyatt has left his job and he's trying to find a fun hobby and he does a it's no longer than three seconds of a stop motion he's like that took me a week
1: i i love that scene so so much but exactly i mean that it's such a real scene for this, and again, this is the first, like you just said, first full length, like animated movie to take on this technique. There's been many since, but can you imagine trying to like say how much this is going to cost, how long this is going Holy to take? Shit. Yeah, no, can't. can't. Yeah,
0: can't. I'm gonna go back a little bit. You were talking a lot about Pee Wee Harmon, uh, aka Paul Rubens, and mm-hmm. he is one of a few fun voices who are in the cast of this movie. Uh, he does the voice of Locke, of Lock, Shock, and Barrel, the annoying little kids who <laughs> love Oogie Boogie. Some other fun voices that you may have recognized. Catherine O'Hara, aka <sighs> Moira from Schitt's Creek. Voices Sally. Moira Rose. <laughs> love it. And it's so, like, I didn't believe it at first because obviously they're
1: extremely different characters, but... She she's got some pipes. Doing both the voices of Shock and of Sally. Like it it's just so great. Like she obviously has some serious range. I love Katherine O'Hara in every single thing she's in. She is truly a queen. But also that was when I saw that she voiced Shock after looking it up afterwards. I
0: was like, "Oh my god, Shock is very clearly a girl, but I've always just thought it was three little boys." Did
1: you really? Yes. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that character's wearing a dress. <laughs> that character's wearing a dress with long hair, and she's kind of like te- putting the boys in her place and all that stuff. It's fine.
0: Yeah. The final voice that I want to call out is Ken Page, who is the voice of Oogie Boogie. Mm. Um, so you may also recognize Ken Page as King Gator from All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, as well as a variety of Broadway and off Broadway musicals such as The Wiz and guys and dolls they had like an all-black revival of guys and dolls guys rachel and i have actually heard ken page sing live we have so in 2019 for my 27th birthday um we saw the little mermaid live at the hollywood bowl and uh ken voiced sebastian apparently he was actually considered for the role of sebastian he mentioned this while he was on stage but uh disney didn't think he was particularly right for that part and then a couple years later he voiced oogie boogie um and just that was such a fun night
1: at the hollywood bowl oh my gosh adina's birthday is in may and all of a sudden so we're sitting outside at the hollywood bowl one there's it's a group of us back when a group of people could do something together and it starts like raining. It was a very immersive night because we all ended up under the sea because we oh, yeah. were soaked by the end of it.
0: I called it the Hollywood fishbowl. My last fact before I did my deep dive here uh is about the soundtrack because obviously this is such an iconic soundtrack. I write later on some songs are a lot more prominent than others, but I think overall, you and I can both agree that this is such a fun soundtrack.
1: I have oh, actually a lot of information about this soundtrack because in the making of, the very first thing that you learn, the script wasn't ready. There was no script. And so Tim Burton and Danny Elfman basically sat in a room. Tim Burton would say, here's a scene that I imagined in my head. Danny Elfman would go and turn that into music. And so what they tried to do is cover as much of the story through song as they possibly could so that they could then give that to the animators and give that to everybody up north so that they could oh. start because they were at a standstill. They could not do anything because the person who was set to write the script was writing very, very slow and ended up not being the screenwriter of this movie. Somebody else had to come in and take over being screenwriter. And you'll see that Catherine Thompson is written as screenwriter and Michael, I'm so sorry, I forgot your last name. Michael something is the person who it's adapted by. So Michael oh. took Tim Burton's ideas and started and then never completed it and couldn't get it out to them. They um alluded to that he had a drug problem in this thing that I watched. And that's why he didn't get it done. Oh, hey. <laughs> that is. Hey, uh, I'm not spilling the tea over here. They spilled it on Netflix. Yo, that is fascinating. Um, right.
0: But also, just imagine being Michael so-and-so. Obviously, it doesn't matter at this point. Because he didn't write the, the screenplay. But what a what a ball to drop, sir. That's seriously.
1: So that's why Tim Burton and Danny Elfman went to a room, and they started writing music. And by they, I mean 100% Danny Elfman, who at that point, he wasn't... he Danny Elfman didn't do scores. Danny Elfman didn't do music until he was asked for Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure to do music. He was the lead singer of Oingo Frickin' Boingo. Like, he was a rock star. He was not somebody like Hans Zimmer writing these musical scores. He was just somebody who... Paul Rubens liked the sound of his music and his voice and said, I want you to do this. And he's like, I don't know what to do. So he learned very quickly how to write musical numbers. That's crazy.
0: I'd also like to point out that this is the second time you've mentioned Hans Zimmer when we're not talking about anything related to Hans Zimmer. But I digress. Rachel's giving
1: me a face, so I'm going to let I you freaking. know love han zimmer okay i will bring him up every single day if all possible because as a person who grew up with music and playing music and everything i bow down to that man oh i I'm think not, he's
0: incredible i'm not disagreeing with you at all i just this is now the second episode we've talked about han zimmer anyway but i'm just you know going back to you saying that danny elfman just knocked these out he said that writing the songs for this movie was one of the easiest jobs that he has ever had he felt he had a lot in common with jack skellington which obviously makes sense because then he's the singing voice
1: for jack skellington what's crazy about this okay so again i'm gonna continue to spill the tea because i got a lot of it in this in this documentary that i watch he was originally the voice not just the singing voice but the actual voice of jack skellington they went for a very long time of Danny Elfman doing the voice all parts for Jack. Oh. And Tim Burton heard heard it and thought his voice fell flat uh-uh. and didn't like the way that he sounded. And asked Carolyn Thompson, who was the who was the writer, but also as I said earlier, Danny Elfman's girlfriend, to tell him that he no longer had the part of Jack. Oh God! He didn't do it himself. He had his—he had Danny's girlfriend tell him. By the way, Tim doesn't want you to do the voice of Jack. You can keep singing, but you're not going to do the voice of Jack. And he was pretty devastated. One that Tim Burton didn't tell him himself, and two that he wasn't doing the voice that you just said. He related to the character of Jack so well. Oh God! What a oh that's a horrible,
0: devastating blow, right? Boy, this soundtrack, again, I love the soundtrack. They are great. There are some fun bonus tracks that were released on the album, including a longer prologue and an
1: extra epilogue, both narrated by Sir Patrick Stewart. Girl, love Patrick Stewart. It is not known why this was cut from the movie because he did narrate it for the movie. And then they cut it. Yeah, why? I want to know why. Why? Could not find any reason as to why they actually cut. But you can find the full poem on Spotify, just like this podcast, or Apple Music. And you can hear the entirety of the poem, the part one and part two. Why
0: would you not want to have Patrick Stewart credited in this movie?
1: That's dumb.
0: Right? Because this
1: is like, when did Star Trek come out? Early 90s, late 80s. Yes,
0: this is, you
1: know, some peak name dropping here. This is the height of TNG, for all you Star Trek fans like we are in this household, Next Generation, Picard was so hot right then. So I don't know why they cut it out. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. So as I said, they were given an $18 million budget. However, as they were going through the film, they realized they were going to go way over budget to get this movie done. I mean, yeah, if
0: every frame... Every second is 24 frames.
1: Yeah, no shit. So a very smart producer who was a Disney producer who flew up and worked out of this office, flew down to do a screening. And some of it was the stop motion. The rest of it was just kind of some storyboarding, etc. She gave them a screening of this movie. And everybody fell in love with it. And she said, okay, but we're going to go over budget. So if we go over budget, we're going to cut this. And we're going to cut this, and we're going to cut this to stay at 18 million. And they were flabbergasted. They were like, you can't cut any of those things. They have to stay. And so they got an extra $6 million and this movie cost $24 million. So what a genius she was to present them the entirety of it. Oh, and then yeah. have the best parts that she said, this is going to get cut. And people were like, you can't cut that. That's necessary. So I just want to give like a round of applause to badass women who are just like, I know how to game this system and we're going to get our money. She was great well lover. done.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine anything being cut. I think it's such a it, it's a it's a tight script. Like It is. It's 80 minutes. It's 80 minutes. I don't think anything is, you know, overly extended or frivolous. I
1: it's it's a tight movie. Totally. So the very first scene that they shot and this was all again a very strategic choice by this same producer, the first scene that they shot was the song, what's this? Because that was Adina starts dancing along as I very dramatically did Love a hand flourish. <laughs> it's just so great. And so, what they did is that song is the most quote unquote Disney like song in the entire movie. And it's the most Disney like scene in the whole movie. Yes. So, when they wanted to see progress and they wanted to show, well, what are you people doing up in Northern California? They wanted to have that song done. And Disney loved it. They were in Hook Lion and Sinker. They're just like, this looks like the best movie ever. I keep going. Do whatever you need to do. What resources do you need? Let's help you out. Because again, it it felt very like Disney like. It mm-hmm. felt very joyous. It felt very like wonder and awe. Little did they know of everything else that was going to come. Right, right. It was very sneaky. <laughs> so sneaky. They did some very sneaky things to get this movie to happen. That was my favorite one that they're like, Hey, Disney. Oh, what have we been working on? Here's the song in Christmas Town, And this guy sees how great Christmas is. Yay. That's what we've done. And they're like, Yes, I love it. So Henry Selick, again, Henry Selick, I'm going to give this man some props right now on our podcast because people don't even know that he was the director. People assume because the title says Tim, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, people assume that he directed this and they assume he was more hands-on than he actually was. So props to you, Henry Selick. He really did a lot of the work here. He assembled the team. He got this to happen. My One of my favorite things that I learned about this movie There's a couple hidden Mickeys in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yes, there are. There is a gift that is given. Actually, there's two gifts. These two children, brother and sister, they get this doll and a duck. And the doll ends up flying at them and the duck ends up attacking as well. That doll is how Tim Burton drew Mickey Mouse. So it is his drawing of Mickey Mouse turned into the sculpture. In addition to that, the girl who opens it and receives the demonic Mickey Mouse is wearing a nightgown with Mickey Mouse on it. And her brother, who gets the duck that attacks, his PJs have Donald Duck on them. Well, that's adorable. Two more things, and then we're gonna get into Adina talking about the ride, which I very much want to hear. Yeah, I like haven't been talking and this is very strange. (laughs) There were over four hundred different faces and heads for jack skellington ooh! so there are they would just have they had this box basically of jack heads and they would take one off put a new one on same thing with sally every time her face moved they just peeled off the face that was on her and slapped a new one right on so that was really cool just again how many things they had to make to make this happen
0: i've got to say i've never wanted to do stop motion And hearing these facts makes me want to do it even less.
1: Seriously. (laughs) Which I'm so glad you said that because that leads into my last fact. Was not intentional. While you might not want to do any more stop motion, our director Henry Selleck went on to do two more stop motion movies which were James and the Giant Peach, which Jack Skellington makes an appearance in that movie. Yes, he does. He also did Coraline, which again was a stop motion movie. So these stop motion movies that you know and love, it's Henry Selick who made them all literally come to life. So this dude, come on, man. You just... That's nuts. No, that's great. Good for Henry. He
0: deserves more credit.
1: He deserves
0: a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. Thank you for going on that journey and... uh looking into the movies that made us Christmas version. That was super, super fun. You're welcome. So one of the main reasons why I wanted to look into this was because we received an email from a listener named Lauren uh, who wanted to know what Disney ride we would want to work on if we were a cast member at the parks. Oh, fun. So I absolutely love The Haunted Mansion. One of the things that I love about it, like, if I were to be a cast member on it, is you don't have to be in a good mood. Like, you can be in kind of a shit mood and just show up and, like, whatever. You're at the Haunted Mansion. It's fine. You don't have Mm -hmm. to be happy-go-lucky like you would have to be if you were working It's a Small World.
1: That's funny because the first thing that crossed my mind, it doesn't exist anymore, but I would have said Tower of Terror.
0: I knew you were going to say Tower of Terror. It does still exist at Disney World. Not in this coast, but... It's fine. But yes, those are the two rides where like you are allowed to be a sarcastic little jerk to guests and that is your job.
1: That's me at my core. Let's be (laughs) honest. That's just who I am.
0: Rachel calls herself the Queen of Sass. So (laughs) Haunted Mansion has always been one of my favorite rides, particularly Haunted Mansion Holiday, which is the seasonal overlay of the Haunted Mansion at disneyland i went on a very large deep dive like a like a 20 foot deep dive so rachel's pouring herself some more wine while i get it ready for those of you unfamiliar uh the haunted mansion holiday is as i said a seasonal overlay of haunted mansion attraction at disneyland and it blends the settings and the characters of the original haunted mansion with the nightmare before christmas in order to get this ready haunted mansion typically closes for about like two two and a half weeks in late summer and then it is converted into haunted mansion holiday in early september this overlaid attraction is then open from september to early january and i did not know this but the first time that this opened at disneyland was in 2001 October 3rd, 2001. I don't know why I thought it was
1: there in the 90s. Definitely wasn't. (laughs) Nightmare Before Christmas didn't take off. It was not a box office success. It was a box office eh. It was fine. It broke even. It wasn't a hit. So it's funny that you should say when it actually started to happen at the Haunted Mansion and at Disneyland. But this overlay became very
0: quickly popular with the guests. And it is the reason why... The fast pass machines at the Haunted Mansion exist. It was specifically for this ride. And then, you know, now they're always active, but they were not introduced until this overlay was introduced to the ride. Smart. So just a little bit of history about the ride and what inspired the overlay. At Disneyland, there were two similar overlays that had already been very successful. The Country Bear Christmas Special and It's a Small World Holiday. So initially, Disney had considered doing a retelling of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol, but they decided against it due to the attraction setting being in New Orleans Square, the incongruity of bringing Santa Claus into this eerie environment of the Haunted Mansion. So instead, they decided to base it on The Nightmare Before Christmas after considering, you know, which Disney character would be able to celebrate Christmas at the Haunted Mansion should Santa Claus ever land there on his journey. Haunted Mansion is a creepy ride, so you've got to get a creepy guy in there. There was one issue that they did have to deal with, um, and that was the fact that many of the key performers in the original Haunted Mansion had passed away many years before. Some names I will call out. Paul Freese, uh, he was replaced in his role as the ghost host by Corey Burton, who had done voiceover work with Disney before and had also served as Freed's protege. Prior to his death. So Leota Toombs, who was uh, Madame Leota, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the face of Madame Leota, uh, her daughter, Kim Irvine, resembled her mother and was chosen to perform in her place as Madame Leota during the the 13 days of Christmas. But it was not Leota Toombs's voice. It was Eleanor Audley in the original version. So Susan Blakesley provides the voice of Madame Leota. Uh, and then the final one that they had to deal with was were the singing busts. So they were topped with jack-o'-lanterns and given computer animated singing projections. Uh, and then just some new voice actors were picked. I weren't able to find I wasn't able to find the voices of those. But yeah, you know, those iconic voices, they had all passed away because the haunted mansion is now 51 years old, and a lot of those voices were older people. So about the overlay itself, uh, not just the history. I had to confirm this with my friend, who is a Disney World annual pass holder. This overlay does not exist at Walt Disney World.
1: Wait, really?
0: Yes. This is only a Disneyland it's thing. Only at Disneyland and Tokyo Disneyland. I read that. I was like, wait, it's not at Disney World. And I was, I had to text her and be like, wait. There's no Haunted Mansion Holiday. She's like, no, it's so sad. I've never been on it. I'm like, whoa. Right? Whoa. Sorry. that's My mind just got blown right now. My mind was blown. I'm glad that you also didn't know this because it was like a <sighs> <"Poof"> moment. <gasps> yeah. In Tokyo, though, it is known as Haunted Mansion Holiday Nightmare. And it first opened in 2004. Oh, Yes. So only three years after it became it, it became a thing in the United States. In the Anaheim version that Rachel and I know and love, mm-hmm. a large moving gingerbread house sits at the center of the ballroom table. And this is my favorite part of this overlay. The gingerbread house changes every single year. And this was part of the request of Tim Burton. Like he requested that it change every single year. Wow. Yes. Each house takes an average of 16 days to complete and it includes a combination of ingredients that I'm going to go into in a second but you know gingerbread obviously a lot of powdered sugar a lot of egg whites lemon juice fondant and glitter I personally have never made gingerbread
1: so it sounds like a lot of work that all that all checks out for ingredients that you need to make a house.
0: Yes, obviously, sadly, one was not made this year. But last year, as I mentioned, it was the Haunted Mansion's 50th anniversary. So they built a nearly 10 foot tall centerpiece to celebrate the ride that was the Haunted Mansion and its residents made of gingerbread cookies. This required, are you ready? Yes. 30 pounds of gingerbread, three gallons of egg whites. 120 pounds of frosting and icing 75 pounds of powdered sugar and 140
1: pounds of fondant what oh my god isn't that nuts (laughs) so i mean i went to the celebration of the haunted mansion 50th anniversary very very cool they did a lot of really cool things that though is insane that is absolutely crazy. Oh my, that's a lot. That's, that's, I just, it's unfathomable how much that all is. I know. I did not look up how that compared to
0: years past. However, I did look up the list of all the gingerbread models that have been made for the ride since 2001. Now, I can name all of them or I can highlight my favorites. <laughs> Let's hear your favorites. Okay. The first one in 2001, it was the Haunted Mansion with arms that were counterbalancing each other, like back and forth. So that was kind of cool. 2003, Oogie Boogie on a Gingerbread Roulette Wheel. 2009, The Scary Go Round, a carousel with gingerbread bone deer, obviously apropos to our wine today. So the bone deer were vehicles and there was one zero vehicle and this Scary go-around moved. 2014, a house inspired by the medieval Iron Maiden torture device with a gingerbread man inside. Oh. Yes, so those were my favorite. Also, last year's was super, super cool, of the actual haunted mansion for the 50th anniversary. So... That, along with this room actually smelling like gingerbread, is my favorite part of this ride. I have gone to Disneyland by myself many times because often I cannot find someone to come with me, and it is very frequently during this time of year, and I will go on this ride over and over again, and it just, it brings me so
1: much joy. Okay, so I'm trying to think of my favorite room in the Haunted Mansion Nightmare Before Christmas overlay, and honestly... I'm just a sucker for, like, the very first time you, like, tilt backwards and you see the wreath up above you. I think that is my all-time favorite moment on this overlay. It just makes me so happy. It's like, it's really actually Nightmare Before Christmas right now.
0: Yes. I do have a few other fun facts just about the decor of Certainly. The ride, more than 400 flickering candles create a ghostly glow on the facade of the haunted mansion. And in addition, each night, more than 100 jack o' lanterns shine their ghoulish light. That's very fun and spooky. It's very fun and spooky. The graveyard inside Haunted Mansion Holiday, which probably be my second favorite part of this ride, is covered with nearly 7,500 square feet of fake snow. And more than 20 gallons of UV paint is used to enhance the snow's eerie glow. And nearly 1,000 tiny orange lights decorate the trees. Oh my gosh. Wow. And it's very interesting. I know I was talking about the giant gingerbread house and how that is my favorite part. In Tokyo, it's not a gingerbread house. A large cake resembling a snow-covered spiral hill from the movie is on the table. And it does not change annually.
1: Oh, though, I like that.
0: I love that spiral hill. I love the spiral hill. I love when it unfurls for Jack. That's probably one of my favorite animations from the movie. So that'd be cool to see. And finally, prior to the debut of Haunted Mansion Holiday, Imagineers actually explored the idea of a standalone Nightmare Before Christmas dark ride. And it was to ride around in a coffin sleigh. And one of the conceptual works being thrown down the chute into Oogie Boogie's lair. And
1: like, that would have been super cool. That would have been <laughs> so cool. Oh my gosh, that would have been so cool. That would have been so cool.
0: So that was my deep dive on Haunted Mansion Holiday. Uh, Lauren, thank you for inspiring that deep dive there. it yes. was Super fun. And now I just want to go to Disneyland.
1: Oh my God. I miss it so much. Oh I'm so happy that I got to go right before it closed with my parents. That was one of my favorite trips that I've had in a very long time, but I miss it so much. So thank you. Cause this, I get to now feel like I'm at Disneyland during the holidays. Oh yeah. I'm very glad that I
0: was able to go earlier this year. I actually got to visit club 33 on one mm-hmm. of my visits that I feel is like a whole different podcast episode, but we oh, yeah. can come back to that. It feels like it was 10 years ago now, not 10 months ago. Right? Oh my gosh. That was a different time.
1: <sighs> oh, we were so young. <laughs> so naive and unaware. <laughs> so young, so naive. I say on that, we pour ourselves a little bit more.
0: Oh, and- yeah
1: actually get into the movie we aren't going to go point for point like we always do we have each of us wrote down a couple of different points that we want to talk about but in the effort to keep everybody sane and not go too crazy right now we will be keeping our movie part a little bit shorter because we wanted to treat you all merry christmas to more facts about this amazing movie so i'm gonna pour myself some wine you just did and let's get into the movie yeah
0: so My first thought I had while watching this movie, other than my God, do I love this opening song sequence, is how did Jack become the
1: Pumpkin King? Oh, that's a good question. It is never, I actually, I had a similar question at the very beginning is, what is this relationship between him and Sally? Oh, I have so many questions about this. First of all, The
0: existence of Sally, is she a secret? Is she not a secret? Because I feel like the way that some people act around her is like, who is this person? But then Jack is like, ah, Sally, you can sew things. And I get very confused and their relationship is not
1: explored enough. It's not. I would want to see more. Uh, Just a random fact that I still have. Sally was originally supposed to be a very, like, voluptuous woman. Very curvy, very femme fatale. Mm. And... When Catherine Thompson took over the script, she was like, no, that is not how I see Sally. I see her as a little matchstick girl. And she's like, I really see Sally as myself. So what is so precious is she wrote Sally as herself. And Danny Elfman wrote Jack as himself. And so really, Jack and Sally, I mean, they aren't together now. They did go their separate ways. But at the time, they are like a time capsule of that relationship.
0: That's adorable but
1: also their
0: relationship just isn't explored enough like they have a lovely love song but also it kind of comes out of nowhere like i said you know we're not going to go super deep into detail but after the halloween song the mayor is talking about uh you know what a great halloween like let's give out some awards and i took down the award because it made me chuckle to the vampires for most blood drained in a single evening honorable
1: mention goes to the fabulous dark lagoon leeches (laughs) i i love that award also at this beginning of this movie jack's going into quote-unquote jack's lament and okay i'm sorry so you mean to tell me that these trees that lead you to all of the other holidays are just in the are in the forest and nobody's discovered this oh my god right
0: But also, I would love to know what goes on in Thanksgiving Town. Everybody is just like fat and eating. Fantastic. You have St. Patrick's Town. It's a drunken shit show filled with leprechauns. Valentine's? Valentine's Town. Everyone's in love. Everyone's Everyone's in in love. Everything is pink. It's
1: lovely. There are, there's chocolate and roses everywhere. I want to live, and that that's where I want to be. I want to be in just the yes. lovey-dovey holiday of Valentine's Day. I'll be honest, I'm still going to pick Thanksgiving town. <laughs> we can't choose Christmas or Halloween town. I'm going to choose Valentine's. However, excuse me, where is my Hanukkah town? Look, it was only, from
0: what I could tell, international holidays that are
1: celebrated everywhere there was no uh there was no fourth of july town i'm sorry can you tell me what thanksgiving is in okay, other countries fair. i'm sorry canada has a thanksgiving <laughs> they do <laughs> no you're right we're 100 percent right um but you know you're right <laughs> Uh, Can you imagine Jack, instead of going to Christmas town, went to Hanukkah town? And this was all the nightmare before Hanukkah. And then he's just singing, -eh, "Maze, Maze." That means, what's that in Hebrew? (laughs) He's just holding up like a gelt and some dreidels. What's this? It's spinning on my hand. What's this? There's candles everywhere. Should we write? Uh, what's this parody
0: for Hanukkah?
1: Yes, yes, we totally should. <laughs> but yes, to to end that point, I want to see the spin-offs of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, Nightmare Before Hanukkah, but that's a whole other movie. Also, I will say, just at this point, the scene where Jack goes to reach the knob on the door to get to Christmas Town was the hardest shot to get in the entirety because again it it's Live action in the sense that it's stop motion. This is not a computer CGI screen of him doing this. They had to play with camera angles so that you see the reflection of Jack and you don't see the reflection of the camera. So that is actually still part of the stop motion. That is not a CGI scene, but that was the hardest scene that any of them shot was trying to figure out the angle to get all of the reflection behind the knob. Crazy. Super cool. Also, I just had an epiphany as to
0: why those were the holidays, and I'm going to tell you.
1: Oh, please do. It's all holidays
0: that have one central figure. You have Cupid, you have the leprechaun, you have the Easter bunny, you have a turkey, and
1: you have Santa. God, I would love to see a spin off show of these. You're right. You're totally right. But so are you saying that, but like, so Halloween, like without Jack, what's halloween a pumpkin oh (laughs) okay the pumpkin king is i know he's the pumpkin king but i just didn't know what he's like look
0: there's no i'm trying to think of another holiday with like a a central figure like hanukkah harry doesn't exist rachel i'm sorry to to share (gasps) what there could definitely
1: be a passover
0: one with moses at the helm
1: I just wanted to call this out because I am just so shocked. Is it that they're all just so self-obsessed with Halloween that nobody's ever wandered off into this forest yes. to find these other doors? They're all so content with their lives and making things spooky that
0: it's never occurred to them to try something new. But that's the that's the whole premise is Jack is like, I'm
1: bored. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So he and Zero just go out and they lament away into the forest. Now, look. Doctor, is it Finkelstein, Finkelstein? I guess it depends on your pronunciation. How very young Frankenstein of you to ask that question. It's it's Dr. Finkelstein. They do say that Dr. Finkelstein. Okay, um- but he is credited as evil
0: scientist in the credits.
1: Whoa, I did not yes. see that.
0: The thing I've hated the most about this movie is when he opens his head and touches his brain. And I've got to say, nothing made it worse than when the subtitles said, Squelching. swelching.
1: <sighs> I'm going to
0: vomit now.
1: I wrote that down because I knew you were gonna call it out and I wanted to say it at the exact same time as you. Um, because yeah, that was disgusting. That was terrible. But again, I've literally always hated that portion, and I don't think I've ever watched this
0: movie with subtitles. So squelching made that scene so much worse. All right, so now we get to the maze, what's this scene? <laughs> it's canon now.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait till we make this song.
0: Like you said. You find it very improbable, let's say, that they don't know. No one else has stumbled upon these other towns.
1: What I find even more improbable is that they don't know about each other. Right. They, like, I, I, I'm I, so confused by this aspect of the movie. Right.
0: Like, I understand them not understanding the concept of Christmas and that it's supposed to be happy and jolly. Like, the, the, the citizens of Halloween Town. like. Yeah. They should know it exists because then you later see Jack reading books about Christmas. Did he get those in Christmastown? Why would Christmastown need books about Christmas? I assume that Halloween Town doesn't need books about Halloween. Thank you. I wrote the exact same thing down. Good. My favorite part about this whole thing is just how incorrectly Jack describes Santa Claus.
1: <laughs> and they call oh. him Sandy Claus. My favorite part of this is freaking Jack thinks so much of himself <laughs> that he thinks he understands all of Christmas after being there for? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was there for like half a day because he went in mm-hmm. at night. Actually, he went in in the morning. He went in Rachel, and he then was there a
0: total of 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: thank, you, thank you. He was there for no time at all. He's there to sing. What's this? Um, and then he comes back, and <laughs> that's that's it. And he thinks he knows, like do you think that somebody i guess somebody who went to halloween town though could probably figure out halloween pretty quickly from how everybody is there right like it's spooky it's scary there's not a lot of color yeah check 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 great but like he he doesn't understand christmas at all like he really you would think he would maybe talk to santa why doesn't he talk to santa talk yeah what do you do what is this place what's what are you instead of just what's this i don't know
0: but also how could he have known about santa claus aren't we glad that more of this movie that this movie wasn't cut down because then we'd have even more questions all right so jack you know is is doing all of his experiments what experiments? exactly what's he trying to solve i don't know but i will say that the equation that he writes on the board
1: is fantastic. i wrote it oh down. good i did too do you want to say it? Um. So the drawing of a snowman times and in parentheses. So you do this part first. Chestnuts over an open mm-hmm. fire divided by and now this part I did I did not understand. Bells going into December twenty five equals twelve. I said like that's bell drawing times twelve over the square root of December twenty fifth. Oh, your A right, is the square root of the twenty fifth of the twelve. <laughs> Whatever. You then add in sandy claws and you get christmas. That's it. That that's it. What? <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> what? Also I missed the snowman part. So mine just says chestnuts. It goes
1: directly into chestnuts over it's open fire. <laughs> It's a literal drawing of Snowman holding a broom. Ah, where was Frosty the Snowman? Where was a lot of things in this. All right, so then I'm going to give a shout
0: out. This is the first, I think this
1: is the first movie we see that has wine in it that we've discussed. I think so. So let's drink to that. Cheers. Cheers, Sally. But then she gets an omen that Christmas will go up in flames. (laughs) And so she, Sally's a smart girl. Let's come on. Like, come on, Sally. So- I'm just going to say, though, maybe I'm going to get ahead of myself. So I'm going to wait. Never mind. All right. So Jack decides to make Christmas.
0: (laughs) And he talks to people. Making Christmas. Anyone
1: who has a cat, I would say probably knows that you actually sing this song to your cat and say, making biscuits, making biscuits. When cats are kneading on you, they're making biscuits. Everyone knows it's making biscuits. And so you change the song.
0: That's amazing. You know, Jack is giving out his many tasks. I only wrote down one of the tasks because I didn't like the subtitles. (laughs) Jack is trying to teach the band how to play Jingle Bells. And the captions
1: say, Jingle Bells played as dirge? What the fuck is dirge? I've played music my whole life. And let me tell you, if I ever see anything like that, it says... Play in dissonant tones. Dirge and-
0: means a lament for the dead, especially one forming part of a funeral rite.
1: Whoa, I love that. I like this a lot better now. <laughs> I like that word. Okay, so he brings in, I, I am so surprised at this action. He brings in Lock, Shock, and Barrel to be the ones to kidnap kidnap I don't understand what what is his thought process he wants know. these kids who are in love with Oogie Boogie to bring in Santa and he says and don't get Oogie Boogie involved you're literally telling kids that live with Oogie Boogie don't get your dad involved in this right like send the vampires send the- oh my god the vampires would have been so great do you know why cuz christmas sounds pretty dark yeah like it's just dark there they would have loved it you know after we see jack giving
0: lock shock and barrel the stupidest task that we could give them we finally do meet oogie boogie look i love his song. does he kind of voice wise and like ambiance wise remind you of dr facilier from princess and the frog
1: you mean does dr facilier remind me of oogie yes, boogie thank you certainly he okay. does and now we're really gonna we're gonna jump through very quickly, so we meet mm-hmm. Oogie Boogie. He's great. Jack says, "Sally, hey, I want you to make this costume to turn me into Sandy Claus." Sally's like, "You got a bigger problem on your hands." Whatever. She starts to get to work. lock Shock and Barrel at this point come back and they say, "We got him." <laughs> and this is a this is a Henry Selick ad. This was not a Tim Burton idea to do oh. this. This was a Henry Selick ad that did get into the movie. Okay. Uh, they open up their bag with no holes might i add but whatever and out pops the easter bunny who is scared shitless <laughs> wouldn't you be oh my god these little kids kidnap me and take me into a place where like guys heads are just goop and sticky <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: god. god how have we not talked about the goopy guy <laughs> He's i hate the goopy as guy.
1: shit oh
0: my He's- god
1: i was going to actually ask you do you have a favorite other than jack sally and main kind of characters do you have a favorite like background halloween town person
0: i love the um like i, I want to call him like a merman guy like the fish oh yeah yeah dude. i don't know what kind of creature he is uh but he just like
1: pops up out of the lagoon and yeah maybe he's the lagoon leeches just so and you he know look like a leech I don't know. I think he's animated super well. I do like him. I mean, I will say drippy head dude is animated fantastically. I hate him. Amazingly, but I hate it. My favorite is a tie and they're very similar characters. One would be the clown with the tear away face, only because he is so scary (laughs) and I hate him. But really the actual character who's like my favorite and I don't know what to call him is like the little zombie baby with like his eyes stapled shut. He's just like a little fat, chubby dude. (laughs) <laughs> I love him. He's my favorite.
0: It's so absurd. I don't know what half of these creatures are, but they're all so creative and hilarious.
1: They're they're so good. I love them. But yeah, I just, I had to ask you what your favorite one of the background characters were. I think a close second would be Zombie Boy. <laughs>
0: but I don't know. I just like the the merman dude. Yeah, I, merman dude. People seeing me make some hand gestures. Okay, so then we... We have Sally's song. The relationship between Jack and Sally is really not explored enough, in my opinion. So Sally's song about wanting Jack just doesn't hit me very hard. I love the song. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it's not as impactful as I think it could have been. All right. So then we see all shit is going wrong. Jack has taken over for Santa Claus and... It is at this point that I forget how the movie ends. I'm like, does it end with like Santa Claus being able to turn back time and make the world forget or does Santa just swoop in and save the day? I I honestly, I, I know
1: it is the latter now, but I forgot. <laughs> I feel like I watch this movie. I watch this almost every single year. I love this movie ever since I was a freshman in high school in the first college and the first time I saw it. Loved it. So I, like, very much know this story, like, the back of my hand. However, though, okay, so Jack is destroying Christmas and turning it into the nightmare of Christmas, and he gets shot down. Oh, my God. The thought of the military needing to mobilize units like that to kill fake Santa Claus is hilarious. So he gets shot down by the military mobilizing, which... Aren't you all happy? That's where your tax dollars went. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> these are fake people, Rachel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I drink a lot of electric reindeer. They also get shot out of the sky. By the way, the electric reindeer.
0: Yeah, I. This wine is. Uh, it's it's not gotten
1: better, but I'm enjoying it more. <laughs> it is honestly. It is How a much very. Have you had <laughs> more than you? I will say this wine. It's fine
0: very fine if you are not a big wine drinker and are like i kind of like sweet wine go go with this you you will be satisfied somewhat
1: it'll be fine you'll like it all right uh we are almost done with this movie yeah he gets shot down he ends up in this graveyard he sings and he realizes wait a second i am jack the pumpkin king and he's like i have to go back Get Santa and fix everything. Okay. Are you telling me that the connection between Halloween Town, one, how does he get to the real world? And then two, he gets back by going through somebody's tomb Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then he just ends up, I didn't understand. Nope. Didn't either. Any of this. Okay. So glad that I'm not alone here. And he ends up realizing that Santa is, and Sally are with Oogie Boogie. Which, how did he realize that? He was walking back and he heard... Them? Um, okay, sure. I'll go with it.
0: I Sure, that was a really terrible description. I don't know what you think. Again, I love Ogie Boogie. I think he is a hilarious character. But I find him to be a rather undeveloped villain.
1: What is his motivation other than he's hungry? Well, and is he even hungry? Because we find out that he's just made up of the bugs he eats. Like... I don't understand Oogie Boogie at all except maybe to terrorize people. Like he is he supposed to be the boogeyman? Like the actual legitimate boogeyman? So why
0: do you need a creature who terrifies all of the other terrifying creatures? That it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Again, I love Oogie Boogie and he has a great song and he's a fun he's a fun guy, but like as a villain, I don't I don't understand him.
1: I don't either and I just it. Why isn't he the pumpkin king? If he's right. the scariest of them all, why yes. is Oogie Boogie not in charge? And I bet there would that would be a fun side story to explore. Like I feel mm. like Jack probably defeated Oogie Boogie. There definitely is some bad blood between the two of them. Oh, for sure. But. He rescues Santa and Sally, which, by the way, Sally, you're a badass. Everybody's just watching Jack, and you're like, oh, God, I got to save Santa. And you you use your womanly power. I love <laughs> Sally. I love Sally. I She's love her. Awesome. She's so smart. She's so smart. And so Santa gets back. He fixes all of Jack's mistakes because there's a lot to fix. Jack realizes he's going to take his place as the Pumpkin King. And he and Sally end up on the Spiral Mountain. They sing their song. They hug. And the end? Then the end, yeah. That's our movie. I. It's a great movie. I love this movie. I just, I'm confused by certain things. I've always been confused by certain things. Yes. Same.
0: But I love it. It's a great movie. It's super fun. I didn't feel the need to go like super into depth into the plot, but I I very much enjoyed this movie and rewatching it again and doing my, my fun little deep dive.
1: Well, and also just extending the holiday season for everybody who listens because it's been a rough year for everybody. And I think we just need to learn about how one of our favorite holiday movies was made, how it got even chosen to be a skin on not a skin an overlay on the haunted mansion and how all of (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. How all of that came to be. (laughs) I don't know. I'm done, but I, I, (laughs) I, I'm so happy that we just are extending out our holiday season because the year is not over yet. It's about to be over and we just need, let's Christmas just needs to last longer. We need to be very gingerly carried into 2021. Let's be real. So much so. But I would say, Adina, what a great pick. Thank, Thank you, you for, for one, being inspired by our listeners. And also, though, for extending out our holiday time because we all need this cheer right now. We do. And Rachel, I this was a very fun pick for the wine. Thank you. Again,
0: it's not my favorite, but it's also not terrible.
1: No, it's not as bad. Honestly, when I saw it was $5, I was like, uh-oh. What did I do? It's good. It's fine. It is not a Chardonnay, but
0: it's, it's solid. And the artwork on the label is really perfect for this movie. So excellent pick for the festive season. Thank you. Thank you. Bring it to, bring it to a party. Why not? Uh, so this is our last movie that we will be discussing in 2020. Yeah. Which is crazy. It is so crazy. So, Rachel, what movie is going to be bringing
1: us into 2021? We are going to do a movie that I really love. I've seen a decent amount of times as an adult, and I truly do love this movie. We are going to watch, to kick off 2021, The Great Mouse Detective. I'm so excited. (laughs) I
0: cannot tell you the last time I saw it. I think I was probably a child. <laughs> oh, this will be fun.
1: I'm excited. <laughs> I think it's a fun way to start 2021, continue on with our podcast and I am very much looking forward to rewatching this and finding I don't know any facts about this movie. I just like the movie so I'm excited to see what we can find. I know nothing. Is this the one with Radigan? Is he the villain? Radigan? Okay. Oh, Radigan. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. So, okay,
0: at least I'm thinking of the correct movie. Mhm. I think that that's the extent of my knowledge at this current moment in time.
1: (laughs) Oh, I cannot, I cannot wait then for us to watch this movie and to talk about it with all of you listening in
0: 2021. Fucking nuts. I'm sorry. This is our eighth episode that we are finishing up at the moment, which is super cool, which means that the next movie pick that I'm doing is for the 10th episode. And like, what the
1: fuck? Oh, you're going to choose something good for 10. I know that too. I know. I'm excited.
0: So let's round out 2020, Rachel, with a very hearty and
1: happy cheers. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at DisneyRewind. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: And finally, you can send us an email at disneyrewind at gmail.com. Again, that's disneyrewind, D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers.
1: Cheers.